Welcome to the Tech Savvy Professor Podcast. Two faculty who love tech and love making it part of their work. I'm Marty Gensius from Kent State University. I'm Eric Perry, clinical faculty at Southern New Hampshire University. Okay, so we are on part two of a three-part podcasting series. Part one was on equipment, and we forgot some equipment. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And then today, we're going to talk about software that you use for acquiring and eventually editing, particularly audio podcasts. If you're into video podcasts, we can talk about that. This show might go a little longer than our usual 20 to 30 minutes. Uh, I, we're going to move through it pretty quickly. And of course, you can always email us with questions that you have. And then the third part, next episode, will be about podcasting platforms where you actually post your podcast. And some of this is all integrated with software nowadays. So where you go to record can also be the site where you do your uh, publication of the podcast. And it's gotten a lot easier over the years, a lot, lot easier and seamless over the years. So the leftover piece was headphones. Eric, what, what do you use for headphones generally in terms of audio? So I tend not to as much. I really like, you know, I've had a couple of steel steel series headphones that I like. The Arctis 7 was one that that I use quite a bit. I still have it sitting over here. Uh, works really well with Bluetooth connectivity, but it's really heavy. It's uncomfortable to have one ear on, one ear off. So, you know, anymore, I tend to use speakers that are, you know, removed and use that directional mic so that I'm not picking up that background sound. Um, so I have I have a system that I use. It's a it's Blaster X, right? It's, it's like an <laughs> off-brand kind of surround sound that I have connected in. But I really like the tone to it. I, I spent some time playing around at Best Buy with different things and had a really clean sound to it. So I tend to use that. I really like the Shocks headphones. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to let you talk about those because I, I saw you wearing them and then bought my own. And I, I tend to use those a lot when I'm not using the actual speakers. You know, when you talked about, you you said one ear on and one ear off. And mm -hmm. um, that's my experience with headphones. If I put headphones on and they're covering both of my ears, what I get when I speak is like I hear a voice underwater. It's muffled. It doesn't tell me how loud I'm speaking, how soft I'm speaking. So back when I was doing terrestrial radio, quite often, if you if you see some videos of it or you see somebody portraying that, you'll see the person who's doing the announcing with one ear set on and one ear set off. And that's because it gives you sort of the room resonance in what to hear and what you're going to hear. Instead of kind of just this muffled, you're you're in your own bubble talking uh, sort of sound. Well, that's where I jump to Shocks, S H uh, O K Z, and you can look at their site. Somebody told me about bone conduction headphones, so these actually don't go in the ear. And I got interested in these during COVID because the little rubber things I was sticking in my ears eventually would give me. I don't know, skin blisters or sores or something. So I, and I didn't want to do over the, over the ear headphones for Zoom meetings and classes and things like that. 
And you maybe you, you if you look at them and you go, do these things really good? Are these things really work? Do, this, is the sound really good on these? They're expensive. They can range from $179 down to $79. And I, I've got a set of those that I keep in my office uh, at work. And the real expensive ones, you know, there's a little bit of variation in terms of the level of sound quality, but they're really good because the speakers, if you want to call that, are are leaning against outside of your ear and leaning just in front of your ear. And the, and the sound is being conducted through bone in order to, to do that. At the same time, I can hear my dog barking downstairs. It has that same effect of having one ear on and one ear off on the on the headphones. Your reaction to those things? I, I love them for certain things. I mean, even just walking around the house, they're light. You forget they're on. So I'll end up wearing them, and, and I do a lot of video grading, and they're comfortable to wear. So I'm not going to disturb anybody else in the house because you can't hear the sound. Anybody else yeah. in the room can't hear the sound either. And somebody had asked me at one point, they said, well, can you wear them while you mow the lawn? And the answer is no. No. <laughs> you can still hear everything else. So they're not great for yard work when there's other loud ambient noise that's going to distract you. But it, when it's reasonably quiet or, you know, you're just going to hear, again, those ambient sounds uh, and the quality is good. You lose out, uh, you know, if, if you're know, looking to listen to music, you lose out on a little bit of the bass, the treble sounds. Those can hit, uh, you know, a certain level before they start to to kind of distort or or sound a little tinny. But other than that, you know, really, really good sound quality for as small of a device and as light a device that's going to be on. Hey, the battery Andrew, also. Pardon? The Go battery on. also tends to last a really long time. Mm. Surprisingly, for as small and as light as they are, I can use mine a full day and plug them in, and they're usually good to go. Yeah, I, they're an acquired. I don't want to say they're an acquired taste because that makes it sound like you have to get used to them. Frankly, right out of the box, I loved them, and they were meant for like runners, you, you know. So runners who are jogging or running or you know doing preparing for marathon can listen to whatever they're listening to and not and also hear traffic and also hear any outside distractions that might uh, influence them. I can't use them on planes. I mean, it makes no sense to use them on planes because you still hear all the engine noise. So I still do either in-ear noise cancellation earbuds and, and AirPod Pros have gotten pretty good at that. There are also over the year noise cancellation headphones, Bose, Apple has their own design. Uh, I I have to balance between, am I going to take a big piece of headphone with me and carry that on the plane for complete, great, immersive sound? Or will, are the the, uh, in-ear buds that have noise cancellation, are they good enough for for me to, uh, to use on a plane and have less to carry? So headphones was the part we forgot to talk about last time in terms of recording podcasts. Right now, you have no headphones on. Right now, I have my shocks on. And again, light and and really functional. Sometimes I'll go down, I'll have something going on and on a television or a movie running, and I'll run downstairs to the kitchen and Aileen will talk to me. And yes, I can hear her, but it, I'm also, she's competing with 
whatever mm-hmm. Bogart movies on at the time or whatever I'm <laughs> I'm listening to. So that that was left over from our hardware discussion from the last uh, episode in this series, and I want to talk a little bit about re- recording with guests and guests being remote. The software opportunities over the last five, six years have built up to be able to do that. Uh, Zencaster is a is a software that you get an account for, and then you can invite guests to a URL and they can come in and do uh, the recording. It does the mixing for you and it does a, a lot and it's gotten better. I worked with them for about three or four years. And then when COVID hit, switched over to Zoom in terms of a recording process to have multiple guests in at the same time. Squadcast is another one uh, similar to that. Ring or R, which is just R A N G R. Podbean is another piece of online software where you can do that. And then there are others like uh, Riverside.fm. Riverside seems to function better with video and it does video capture with multiple guests uh, a little bit better than Zencaster. But I think, you know, there's part of me that wants to go back and try out Zencaster. But frankly, at this point, everybody knows how to use Zoom. Whereas there's a learning curve with all of these other things that you have to tell your guests to do and, and and such. So go with familiar if it gets you the sound that you need to get. If you're going video, well, I guess you could look at Riverside. I think Zencaster is moving into the video realm too with video guests. Or you could go the high-end sort of stuff if you see video podcasts with multiple guests on YouTube, then you're looking at Ecamm, uh, which is a great piece of software. It'll do lower thirds, those little banners that come in. You have to set all of that up. And I tried to set that up for Circular Firing Squad one night to try and get everybody in. And I'll probably do it sometime and and have our squad play with, uh, with Ecamm and give me a chance to, to play with the software. It's a subscription software. And so I need to get some use out of it, but it looks, and I know other people who do these video podcasts online use Ecamm as a, as a primary way of capturing software, uh, capturing video or audio. Yeah. And I think you got a lot of the big names, Marty. I I just want to discourage one. Okay. That's, that's not what we always set out to do, but I've seen uh, some folks trying to record in teams. (laughs) I really, really want to discourage the use of Teams wherever possible. If you don't want to stress yourself out uh, trying to edit, the sound quality is really poor. You know, the video quality is worse. It is accessible, which is why I, I think a lot of folks have tried to use it for this kind of purpose. But I've I've just seen the outcomes of it and, you know, seen just some of the meeting recordings that that have come out of this. And some of that does come down to equipment, but even even kind of serious attempts to use Teams for this purpose have really fallen short. Uh, they just they allow a really low connectivity and a low quality to to preserve bandwidth. And so you can see that really start to to fall off, especially once you get above four or five participants in a meeting. Yeah. Uh, it really starts to to shave off that quality. Yeah. It's like let's have a uh a program or a school meeting with maybe 40 or 50 people on teams. 
it, you'll see people crash. It, there's, yeah, teams. Uh, I, I'm glad you suggested that's one to ward off anyway. and, and, and be concerns if you're looking at that as an option. So let's talk a little bit about editing and the software used for editing. Your preferences? So I don't do it as much anymore. Um, it's kind of a rare thing for me to do it, but it, so it's been a few years. I started out with Audacity, you know, a couple of years ago, messing around with that. I really prefer Audition if I'm going to do anything with it, Adobe Audition, which, you know, has a price tag, but it's not as heavy if you can get a discount. If you work for a nonprofit or, or you're an educator, you know, you can get a, a decent discount for Audition or uh, Creative Cloud. Um, mm -hmm. It's not as intuitive, I think, for someone starting out, but it does have all the features you need. And I've learned everything I needed to know about editing on YouTube. There's plenty of tutorials out there. It's a very widely used program. So if you do start to get into editing and you want to invest a little bit of money, uh, it's worth the subscription. And there are, what, there are several series out there that, that we could recommend to help you get the basics down. Yeah, I you know nowadays I don't read manuals. I don't think even people produce manuals. It's like just ask Dr. Google, you know, ask specifically what you're looking for. If I'm video editing in Premiere and I have a question on how to do something, I will type in specifically what I want and sure enough I'll have three 2-minute YouTube videos come up showing me how to do that in Premiere. Same with Audition, how to do things in Audition. There is a learning curve. My, when I worked with groups of people doing uh, their own podcasts and helping them produce the podcast, the default was Audacity because it's free. And frankly, there are some 12 minute videos on or short videos on the internet that will teach you all the basics of Audacity that you need to do to get up and running with Audacity. I think there's some clunkiness to it. There, it used to be with Audacity, you had to import the MP3 out codec uh, because they didn't own the codec or they didn't pay for the codec, but you could get it free and then patch it in with Audacity. I think that might have changed since then. So that's all built into it. It's a nice little platform. I think visually, uh, uh, Audition is a lot easier to work with. And the only reason it's become my go-to is because I got a, let's say, uh, not uh, legally produced a copy of it uh, back in 2009 when I started doing podcasts and stayed with it. Learned enough to be able to do output of it. And now, again, any questions I have, Dr. Google. On Circular Firing Squad, we have a person who likes to drop the F-bomb every once in a while. I have just recently discovered how you can insert a tone over that. So it's quite clear what the person's saying because you don't hear that tone. You've heard that tone before in yeah. other situations, but now you get to hear it in my podcast to let you know somebody just dropped the F-bomb. There are nice little things you can do with Audition in terms of equalizing in terms of getting everybody's up to this to the same levels through a simple uh, some simple actions on it again just consult dr google how do you do this using adobe audition so that's my go to i uh, get a cloud suite which i think the university has a 
discount for it's $75 a year and you get everything that uh, Adobe has, which is a nice arrangement because you get uh, Acrobat, you get Premiere, you get everything that you need or could possibly need as as options for you in suites. GarageBand for Mac users, uh, I, I don't know a lot of people who are doing their editing on GarageBand, but that was GarageBand's first it was one of the products that GarageBand was put together for. Mixing music is its primary product, but you can do the same thing with podcasts. It has automatic ducking, and and uh, which means anything one channel will go down while the other channel goes up. And it has all sorts of uh, little pieces that you can do with it. But for me, it's not as intuitive in, in doing the in doing editing. A lot of the people I know who are doing podcasts love Hindenburg. Hindenburg uh, and Hindenburg Pro. So you can go on the Hindenburg, look for uh, Hindenburg Audio Editor or Google something like that, and you will get to the Hindenburg site. They produce a variety of softwares geared towards audio. Some of them are for narrations for like books. Uh, and some of them, like the Hindenburg Pro, has a lot of all of the qualities that you would want with it. It's a paid subscription. You can get the first year at half price if you're an educator. People I know love it. And I think one of the functions in it that I have not, because I, I have a subscription and haven't, you know, all the time I want to do editing, it comes out at the last minute. And I don't want to spend time learning Hindenburg so I can complete the podcast on time. But one of the things I saw was that you can get a transcription of what everybody's saying. So when I go, um, I can simply highlight the transcription, delete it, and it takes it out of the audio too. Uh, that's uh, kind of kind of an interesting setup and arrangement. So Hindenburg Hindenburg Pro is another option. And then on uh, if you're going to do all this on tablets, and there is a podcaster who swears by this, a uh, Ferrite F E R R I T E, the name for metal or iron, excuse me, a ferrite recording studio is on iOS and also on Android tablets. So you can do all your editing. And there is a guy who does a, a Mac Apple focused podcast who swears by it. And that's what he uses for editing all of his podcasts. So that's available too. If you're getting into video, there, a Final Cut Pro is now available on tablets. Um, and if you're getting into video, you can use Final Cut on your desktop, or you can use the Adobe product Premiere. And I have both of them. And the, the languaging around Final Cut is such a different sort of languaging around what it can do that I haven't quite transitioned to Final Cut and picked up Premiere pretty quickly with the help of Dr. Google on how to edit video uh, with Premiere. So uh, that's that's what I have in terms of software, if you have any other ideas or suggestions. My biggest suggestion is uh, when you get started with video or audio editing within these programs, test the movement and how things look first, how you zoom in and out and your placement. And before you start cutting things up or adding things, uh, I think that interface and knowing how to move around the file, whether it be video or audio, zooming in and zooming out, it, it, sometimes it can be intuitive and sometimes it can 
it can mess with you. And then those tracks and how they operate. So, you know, test how things move around, how things look, and how you access and jump through and in and out of those files before you get started editing. I think the most helpful thing I did was is, was a couple of videos on just the navigation part and what things mean before I jumped in to try and mess around with, with editing. And then just your saving and saving and how you're storing. So if you're going to make changes to a file, you know, keep that original so that you can go back to it. If you do make a mistake or you do save over something, you have that original to run back to. Yeah, I will take what I we record on Zoom. It gets stored in the documents folder on my computer in a sub-document folder called Zoom. And I'll take the recording for that episode and immediately copy and paste that onto my desktop. So if I know if all faults, I can go back to the Zoom documents, documents Zoom folder and get the original. Then I'll make a copy on my desktop of the file that I'm going to be editing and call it raw, which means there's been no, to me, the file name, there's been no editing on it whatsoever. And I'll work with the raw file. I will often save it in WAV format, even though it's far compressed beyond that anyways, but I'll save it in WAV format, which seems to, it takes up a lot of space. So, uh, you know, a 30 minute show could be 300 megabytes uh, when you see the output could, when you save it that way. But when we get into next week about what you do with that file to get it onto a platform, it's, I like saving things and doing the editing in the, in the WAV format. Um, with Audition, they have some. They have a tab that's called Effects, and if you want to try Audition or use it, I would say get a small sample of audio and play with the effects because you can learn how to do different things in there, like equalizing. The one that I use the most is Silence, and in particular, once you do a silence and you so a thing I typically silence would be, of course, a cough. Or it would be somebody gets too breathy on the microphone and they breathe right into their microphone. The reason you want to silence that is, although it's not really loud when you're listening to it in raw, when it gets compressed, your audio in the quiet places are, uh, the levels raise up so everything's the same. So then the the breath becomes that sort of, I, I, it's hard for me to do it. That sound that you sometimes hear in audio clips on there. But if you silence it, there's nothing for it to expand. So just a, a little editing tip with that. The The other thing is once you use a function, you use a control R to repeat the function. So I don't have to do the pull down menu every time. I just have to highlight and do control R and it'll silence the next breath. The other thing is the more audio editing that you do in a digital format, you'll you'll recognize breaths just because of the, the wave signature that you see. And sometimes I don't even listen to portions of the podcast that I'm editing, and I'll just look for those waveforms and shrink them. But then you have a podcast that has a series of spaces. And sometimes those silent spaces are good, and sometimes you want to tighten it up. So our, there are different editing pieces that can be used for tightening it up. Uh, one is Levelator that I use, and Levelator takes 
very soft, if you listen to Circular Firing Squad, a very soft Stephanie and brings her brings him brings her up to Elliot's level. So everybody's kind of at the same level of loudness. So Levelator is a good app for that. And then there's a paid app called Time Bolt, which will search for silences in your podcast that you preset the the delays going in and going out. And anything longer than the setting that you have gets clipped. And so the, the, the audio sounds a lot tighter. It sounds like Eric has the immediate answer to the question I just asked him instead of a kind of a long, silent pause. Not always the case. <laughs> yeah. Well, Time Bolt works pretty good. You can do that all manually. You can highlight the, the silent parts in your podcast and audition and do that. Um, generally, I get it cleaned up of noise, export it, and then run it through Levelator and um, Time Bolt to, to get the levels the same and tighten up the the uh, the audio in terms of how people speak. And there's natural pauses in conversation, right? There's yeah. natural pauses that you want to leave in there. So that setting is not to to put people on top of each other, but to allow for uh, not a long pause, but a natural pause in that conversation. Yeah. One of my arguments about Time Bolt is that it has no clear manual. So when you look at all the settings, you kind of have to figure them out yourself. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, thankfully, I fit, you know, and then, you know, because if they're too tight, then everybody's jumping on top of each other and it doesn't sound natural, as you said. I've kind of figured out the right tolerance to tighten it up without sounding like people are stepping on each other. And I can't tell you where what that setting is. I can't tell you how I figured it out. It was just through trial and error. And there's no resource that says, this is what you want to set these different things at. But once you get the setting, it works. Works really well. So you might have like 40 minutes of recording that after you do time bolt on it, it's like 35. So it's cut out essentially five minutes of dead air yeah which is amazing how much you actually accumulate the longer you yeah. go yeah so anything else to say about this i we've rattled off a lot of names of different software so you might want to look and review if some of these sound appealing to you as you're starting to put together podcasting and we will get to a third part eric anything more no i think i think we covered it pretty well this week okay all right so how can listeners get involved? Well, you got a tech question. You're trying to figure out how to do something with technology, or you have an idea to share. Email us at thepodtalknetwork at gmail.com or call and leave a message at 330-333-1240, and we'll play your question in the podcast and try to get an answer for you. Our bumper music is from Philip Gross, Rast, from the Free Music Archive. That's it for today's show. Thanks for subscribing to the Tech Savvy Professor podcast. Everything you need to know is at techsavvyprofessor.net. You can find us by searching Apple Podcasts for the Tech Savvy Professor. Look for us on Spotify, TuneIn, and Google Play Music. Look for our other shows like Circular Firing Squad at thepodtalk.net. Thanks for listening to the Tech Savvy Professor.